right, welcome back to Firewall. Really special episode today. We are recording this from our brand new podcast studio at P&T Knitwear down at 180 Orchard Street. So uh, the bookstore uh, unofficially has a soft opening tonight, May 26th, officially open Saturday, May 28th. Uh, and we Open are, by the time everybody hears this podcast. Yep, yep. and uh, so we decided to sort of spend this first one with uh, Julie Wernersbach, who is the head of the book. What's, what's your actual title? Do you have a title? Uh, yes, uh, general manager and book buyer. General manager and book buyer. She, she runs the place. Um, <laughs> and Hugo, and Hugo is going to basically interview Julie and me about kind of what, why we built this and what we're doing with it and what we hope to accomplish. Uh, hey, guys. Um, I, I feel like you almost need to describe the kind of really awesome scene here because we're, we're, we have a window onto the street in the studio where people can look in and we can obviously look out. There's no one really around because it's the Lower East Side in the morning, but there will be a lot of people later. Bradley, you want to, or Julie, why don't you tell us what, what, what's right across the street? <laughs> Directly across the street is a, a dessert bar that serves um, adult-themed desserts. I haven't been inside, you, so you, you I You haven't can't, gone inside yet? I, no, I have not. I have okay. not, though one of the managers there helped us figure out how to lock the door the other night, which was nice. Oh, that is nice. Okay. <laughs> we have did, very friendly neighbors around here. Did they give you a cookie or anything? No, he described no. what's in there. I won't, I won't describe yeah. it for it's listeners. It's a family yes. podcast. Yes. Yeah. So, Bradley, I'm not going to belabor this because we have talked about this before, but yeah. for people coming new to this bookstore idea, yeah. um, why is this bookstore called P&T Network? Uh, it I, is want called, the, I want the short answer, yep. please. Uh, when my family came to this country in the early 1950s, uh, one job that you could get if you were an uneducated Jew was in the garment district. And so my grandfather and a friend of his from the refugee camps, a guy named Mike Pudlow, opened up a tiny, tiny store uh, right around the corner from here in Allen Street called P&T Knitwear. Um, and here they we are. They sold like sweaters and stuff? And, yep, yep, yep. And here we are 70 years later and, you know, wanted to honor that, that legacy. Okay, Julie, I want an honest answer. Now, you you were you you came on as general manager fairly early in the process, but one decision that had been made was the name of the store. So your first impression was cool. I can work with that, or just just what, how did you think? Yeah, my first impression was oh, the SEO. Like this is going to be terrible. <laughs> um, when I looked it up, when I googled it myself, it was just sweaters everywhere. Right. Um, but as we've developed the store, you know, and as I've talked about it to so many people. You say the name and you can't help but tell the story. Right. And that's actually, I think, really beneficial to us because we immediately talk about the, the family history here in the neighborhood. And, and it does set us apart. I mean, yeah. you know. The, the, the goal here is to build something iconic that, that people will say, yeah, that's part of my regular stop when I go to the Lower East Side. And I think having a differentiated name helps with that. Right. Bradley, you're uh, a tech investor. Yep. Um, this is, I mean, there's tech involved here. We're speaking into some pretty nice looking mics and um I see the point of purchase stuff over there looks looks fairly high tech. But in general, bookstores are a low tech enterprise. Yep. So why are you doing this? Um, just a few things. Okay. One, one, I love books. I always thought it'd be fun to own a bookstore one day. Um, as you know, uh, our friend, mutual friend Howard Wolfson and I created something called the Gotham Book Prize a few years ago. We give out 50 grand each year to the best book published that year that's either set in New York City or about New York City. Um, and then when COVID hit, you know, what I realize is if I'm going to do something nice for the city and the community from kind of a retail perspective that where I'll hopefully not, but probably lose money, uh, there's no real difference to me whether that happens now or in 30 years when I'm not working or whatever it is. Um, so I figured let's just do it now. Right. And um, how did like, your friends, your 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 peers in, in the industry um, how do they respond? Do they think, oh, that's cute? Or are they like, how do they like? Yeah, I mean, two things. One is um, 
I think, you know, my friends all like the idea because to right. a certain extent it's, it's self-selecting right. in, in general. Um, you know what? And we, we've talked this on the podcast before. I don't think anyone in any industry actually considers me part of their industry. Right. Like, you know, venture capitalists kind of think I'm a political guy. Political people think I'm like a business person. Books people think I'm a dilettante. Whatever it is. <laughs> You're in the dilettante like, industry. Yeah. But like, so I, I really don't think anyone looks at me and says, he is my peer. Right. Um, Julie, there are a lot of bookstores in New York, um, maybe not as many as we wish, but what's the way that P&T Knitwear, other than the name, is going to stand out? Um, a few ways. I mean, I think the way that any bookstore stands out is its booksellers and what the booksellers on staff are reading, what they're hand selling, that, that feeds into what we're going to display in the store. And so every bookstore is different because of its booksellers, and that's what makes it stand out. Right. Aside from that, the, the, I mean, the studio that we're sitting in right now, there's no other bookstore in the city, um, and only one other that I can think of in the country that has any kind of podcast studio. And that other one's in New Orleans, so it's not even... And that, is that other one free for anyone to use? No, it's not free for anyone to use. And yeah. that's, you know, there were all day yesterday as we were setting up, there were people who were trying to walk into the store. And last night, like 10 o'clock at night when I was still here, these two girls came up to the front and they were like, what's that next door? And we're like, podcast dude. Like, oh, we've always thought we should start a podcast. And when I told them, they were like, okay, so can we reserve it? How much is it? I was like, no, it's free. They couldn't believe it. Like it was, we had to go several, several rounds. I was like, no, it's, it's free to use, like right. free. That, that absolutely sets us apart. I mean, they had, yeah. Let's talk about that podcast uh, concept for a second. When did that come into the bookstore idea? How did that merge together? Do you remember? Because I, I feel like I was around for that, but I don't remember. I mean, I, I think it was pretty early. I think in part because, look, we were already doing this podcast. Right. And so we were familiar with, with the practice of it. And look, I, to me, and I think our listeners know this point, like I don't like doing anything that's already been done before. Right. If, if I can't do something differently and better, there's no reason to do it. And so when we came up with the idea for the bookstore, you know, it wasn't just a bookstore. It was a podcast studio that we can use for free, a community space that, that the community can use for free, you know, a cafe that will be staffed by people who are formerly incarcerated. Like the goal is to, how do we do something truly different? Uh, and the podcast studio just fit into that perfectly. Uh, Julie, you and Bradley, I know, are both like pretty massive readers. And I know uh, from talking to you about books that you have pretty sophisticated taste. Um, you know, people coming into a store may or may not have that elevated taste. Um, how do you deal with that, like trying to meet the customer where they are? Is that is that a, a sort of healthy kind of tension? Do you think of yourself as like trying to elevate what they're looking for or just give them what they want? Or how, how do you deal with that? I don't think about it as elevating. To me, there's no tension there. If someone's reading, that's a good thing. I right. mean, if you look at like sort of the national reading stats, it's kind of abysmal and I try not to think about that too much. So if someone's reading a book and they want a book, I want to put it in their hands. I don't I don't care what they're reading about. I want them to enjoy this book that they're reading. Um, I think that as a bookseller, what my goal is, is not to necessarily elevate taste, but to find those books that readers might not know about otherwise. You know, all the big commercial books get, a, you know, big pushes and big marketing budgets. And I'm looking for those books that don't have the big marketing budgets behind them that are maybe by a debut or just an unknown author that we can put a stack on our front table and give them some visibility that way. And that's what I'm really trying to do is to give customers something that they wouldn't find anywhere else and wouldn't have known about otherwise. What's a, I guess from what you're saying, I, I kind of uh, presume that the idea of a guilty pleasure in terms of reading is not really something you believe in as a concept. Because if, um, 
But if you what what's a what's a what's a what's a lowbrow type of book that you enjoy or an author? Is there can you name one or is it what comes to mind? You know, I'd, I'm not going to name any authors because I wouldn't want anyone to hear this and then feel that their tastes were lowbrow <laughs> for any reason. Um, but certainly, like long car rides, I like I love a mystery thriller. Like give, you know, like an audiobook especially. Like I love to put that on on the CD What's player. What's a great one that comes to mind? That, oh that, goodness, uh, there are so many good ones. S. A. Crosby is a new thriller writer who's been really, really good. yeah, who's really, really good. good. Um, is it? <laughs> my brain is so mashed with titles right now from yeah, putting course. out ten thousand of them on the shelves. But um, Julie is the busiest person in the world. Right now, because yes. the store is there's a party tonight and the store is opening, so it's kind of incredible that you're she's actually making any sense at all. And, yeah, and honestly, she is. Yeah. yeah, that I can you even okay. form sentences is remarkable. Yeah. But to I'll, me. I'll give you the contrast because I literally last night dealt with this where I'm reading two books. Right, one is a. Were you multi-read? I mean, not at the same exact moment. <laughs> um, but I'm reading a book by Nell Zink, who is one of my favorite authors, called Avalon. In fact, the best part was that I just came here on Sunday and took it from the store, which was so cool. I know, Julia's been, ta- um, been talking about that. Yeah. I just took this drink of whatever I have and also berry thing. Um, I've noted it. Don't worry. I'm yeah. going to let this. Yeah. Um, we'll straighten out the inventory. Don't but worry. it's, you know, she's a serious writer. Not hard, but, but it's serious fiction, right? And then there's a guy named Chris Pavone who writes really fun thriller-type books. Yeah. Uh, I think he wrote The Flight Attendant, which has become a, a hit TV show. Um, and he has a new book that came out on Tuesday called, I think, Two Nights in Lisbon. And literally last night I was like, okay, I'm reading both of these. What do I want to read right now? And I was like, I feel kind of tired. I'm going to go with the Chris Pavone book. Right. And so, yeah, but I think Julie would argue, no problem. You're reading. No, absolutely not. And I, you know, I'll take a celebrity memoir that way too. I remember when Carly Simon's memoir came out and it was working through a lot of events and it was the same kind of thing. End of the night, and I'm like, I'm going to speed through this because it's fun. You yeah. know, there's books are, exist for many reasons. Do you, what can a store do uh, for audiobooks? Because I, I, I'm, I'm a huge audiobook listener. Mm-hmm. I love it. When you said that about mysteries, I remember I listened to Gone Girl on, you know, an audio. That'd probably be a good, good, good audio. I gotta say it was excellent. I mean, it was, I, I, I mean, I, I tore through it in like just a couple of days. It's not a short book and it was just compulsive. Yeah. It was great. Um, but what, is there any way, I mean, obviously you can make recommendations, um, Maybe there's a way to use the studio or something to do some recordings of stuff. Or what, so what are you thinking? There's actually a great company out there called Libro FM that's partnered with independent bookstores across the country. And so we are an affiliate with Libro FM. So if you go to our website and hit the Libro link, it'll take you to their page where you can download, purchase and download any audiobook that exists right now. And then we get a cut of the sale as the bookstore. So um, it's a really nice, easy solution for us. And our marketing manager loves them. And she's a big audiobook listener. And they're, they're fantastic. Do you have a good audiobook recommendation that maybe not a mystery thriller since we just talked about those? Is there something? Because I also like to listen to high-end stuff. Like I listen to Don DeLillo. I mean, high-end. I know yeah. I, I'm, I'm violating your, your principles here. But, <laughs> um, but I, I, find, I find that super well-written stuff works, works mm-hmm. beautifully on, on uh, or, not just more plot-driven. Or, or sometimes if it's more multifaceted and, you, and the audio recording is creative and clever and that it takes advantage of more than just someone monosyllabically kind of reading. So the Beastie Boys book was actually incredible uh, as an audiobook because, you know, they had the, the different members of the band coming in and telling these stories. They had all of their friends from, like, kind of New York real life. Like, they had Colson Whitehead do a whole thing on Fudgy the Whale. Or, you know, so, like, it was just, it was the best audiobook I've ever heard. Julie, you are mentioning uh, uh, how you're using the website. 
what is the what are the ways that you're using digital promotion to get the word out about the store and to program it? Well, we're going to have a podcast. <laughs> That's in development. What is the podcast? What's the first one you're going to do? Um, you know, it's uh, I'm not sure exactly which the, what the first one will be. Our marketing manager, Ariana Rebellini, is working on booking different authors to come in for conversations. And so we look like we're leaning heavy on author content right now. I think we'll maybe get into some behind the scenes of the industry and the bookstore um, as, as we develop. Um, so we're looking at the podcast. Ariana's looking at developing just our online content, just different... Um, pieces about books written online and different book lists and things like that. You know, she came from BuzzFeed and so has a great background there. Um, and so we're really looking for what are the ways that we can deliver just a little bit of extra content. And I'm really interested in going beyond the book lists, you know, because you can find those everywhere, but really delving into book comparisons and sort of thematically what's happening right now and what are people writing about and talking about and reading about. And that's kind of what we're looking to drive right now. Um, you know, and, and other than that, you know, it's, it's all the old standards of Twitter and Instagram and uh, probably not Facebook so much, but, um, but and getting into TikTok. Yeah, I really like us. the Instagram posts I've seen. I think they've oh, been really working yeah. nicely. Um, Bradley, how do you find out new stuff to read? We've talked about this a few times on the podcast, but especially now that you're doing this store, like, are there ways that you feel like are more effective in... in well, I, you know, for me, there's just some different kind of blogs, like this one called The Millions that, that I like that has a lot of kind of book previews. Um, I will say the... Biggest downside of my refusion to read the New York Times is it, I did learn about a lot of books from it. Uh, we're going to sell the New York Times issue on this podcast. While, so I just while to know. I do, you know, read the book reviews in the Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal, they're not quite the same. There's, there's, uh, they don't have a book review editor at the moment at the Times, right? They have, they haven't, aren't they in the in? Inter I think they're still looking for someone. Yeah, period? I think so. I think so. I know you'll be really excited about. Yeah, that I'm going to apply for that one. <laughs> Uh, Julie, I have uh, I have two 16-year-old daughters who are the same age as as, uh, as Bradley's daughter, and they used to be like pretty great readers, and they still read sometimes. I think um, I mean they have to read for school, but the amount of times I see them reading on their own is just I feel like it's going straight down. Um, do you have any advice? I know you're not a parent, um, no. but but uh, but maybe a non-parent has better advice for parents. I think, you know, what I've seen from my friends who have kids, from customers who have kids, my girlfriend has a couple of teenagers and she's always trying to get them to read. You can't push it. You can't force it, you know? And I think that being a role model, sit hanging, you know, as a parent, as always, you know, kind of hanging out and reading, although I guess so I can go the other way. So you think me on my phone way. all day too is not good? I think probably not, not helping. I think right. probably not helping. And I think that what happens with teens especially too is they do get all those reading lists from school and there's so much forced reading. And I think reminding kids and demonstrating it however you can that reading can be done for fun and for entertainment you know that you can read your mystery thriller you can read the celebrity bio whatever it's going to be that it doesn't have to be just for studies and educational learn 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 that reading can be a form of entertainment um, I think is really helpful but I don't I don't know how anybody raises kids I really don't <laughs> they are aging out of I mean they have aged out of YA which was a big deal for them and there are many and I was I was really kind of blown away by how good how much good stuff there is in YA and how many things I really enjoyed, like reading with them or just like picking their books up and, and taking a look. Um, but what's the, if, if they're, one of them is reading uh, an Ian McEwan book, um, Atonement, which I loved and I wouldn't say forced on her, but I was definitely, um, I thought she would like it. Um, one of them is reading uh, The Goon Squad um, uh, by Jennifer Egan, who's got a new book also. Yep. And I know you're a big Jennifer Egan fan. I am, yeah. um, so what, 
not that those are great markers of their taste or anything, um, but what, throw out a title or two for if I'm going to pack a book into their bag for the <laughs> summer kind of thing. Is there something that comes to mind? Yeah, you know, when I was that age, right around 16, 17, that's the first time I read Toni Morrison, and she absolutely blew me away. The, what, she, the power of language in those books and what she can do with metaphor and with those characters, it really impressed me. And so I feel like that age, 16, 17, this is like you're figuring out yourself, you're coming to understand yourself, but you're really opening up to the whole world around you. And to me, it seems like such a good opportunity to start reading beyond your own experience. And there's just tons of great literature out there. I mean, yeah, a classic like Toni Morrison, even like Colson Whitehead, you know, like really kind of getting into, and you know, even Burke Bennett, like there's so many great, great writers right now. Um, I feel like I should just dive in. Bradley, the other day on the podcast, you were talking about Don Winslow. I know you don't like his new book. Um, right. And we're not going to talk about that again either. But um, but we uh, you, you were praising his his uh, sort of Mexican cartel series yeah, of novels, fantastic. and you talked about how like when when you had a friend who was laid up for a while, or you typically send them a, a bunch of those books. Yeah. Um, what's the other? What are other go to recommendation books you have? Like because uh, Don Winslow's, I mean, he's not an acquired taste or anything, but he's a very right. specific type of writer. Yeah. Look, and um, I, I love. Don Winslow too. I think Jennifer Egan would certainly be one for me. You know, also depends a little bit on who I'm talking to, right? So like my, uh, as the podcast listeners know, my political consultant text group right. are all Jewish guys from New York City in their 40s and 50s. So, you know, a Saul Bellow, a Philip Roth, that kind of thing for that group works really well. It might <laughs> let work less so for, for others, you know. So Do it, you get it, book recommendations from those guys or are you the guy who recommends the books? You know, they read much less fiction than I do. Um, so Howard and the others do read a lot of nonfiction. So I'll, I'll take recommendations from them sometimes about that. Um, but yeah, probably more me on the fiction side. You don't typically read sports books. I've never heard you talk um, about them. But I like them sometimes. Like did you I, read the Knicks book? No, the one about like nineties. Yeah, yeah. I, I did not read that. But um, but like Breaks of the Game by David Halberstam is an incredible basketball book. No, I, I like sports books. I just you know, uh, and look, Roger Engel died last week, and he, you know he, his book was amazing. Which book on Ranger Angel? The Five Seasons book? Is that the one that you love? Or is no, what's the, the the original big baseball book that he wrote? Now I'm totally blanking on that. Yeah, name. I'm blanking on it too. This is, a, and we, you know, if, if we, um, I, I, I think the only real book of his I've read on baseball is Five Seasons, but I, I think I it's a collection. I'm, I'm, I'm looking this up. Cause Sports no, books are not my specialty. Yeah, you don't, you don't <laughs> need to, you don't need to opine on it. <laughs> For some reason, I was thinking of the book Jaws. For the summer. Have you ever read that? I have not read Jaws. I was thinking of beach reading, and I was like, maybe Jaws is just what you should read on the beach. Mm -hmm. Yep. I, I have not read Jaws. I, I love, you know, I'll read anything on the beach. Uh, I love a big tome over the summertime, like something that, like, because I used to go to Jones every Sunday with my parents, and, like, I'd love to bring just a big, big book and sit there and stare at the ocean and, like, be immersed in these worlds, you know? Julie, what is the hardest part about running a bookstore? Now, that you've, you've done this a couple times before. Um, this is a, a, a bigger deal in a lot of ways. It's in the middle of New York City. Um, but what's the what's the what's the thing that people don't know or don't understand who are like dreaming like one day I'll open a bookstore? <laughs> um, books are heavy. One, just a reminder, <laughs> they are a physical object and they do weigh a lot. Um, I think that. What, one of the things that's difficult for a lot of bookstores is m being able to 
break even at a, a rate that will really pay their booksellers well. And we, you know, we are starting uh, at twenty dollars an hour here at PNT Knitwear, which is more than any other bookstore that I know of. Um, and we're really putting employee well-being first and foremost. You know, everyone is getting health insurance that they're not pay- coming. It's not coming out of their paycheck. We're paying for it. That's a big hurdle for a lot of bookstores um, to be able to do that and to take care of your staff um, in a busy retail environment where anybody in the world is going to walk into your bookstore. You know, I, that's a big challenge. And then beyond that, I think it's really just, you know, we're in such an, it's such an uneven playing field um, in terms of independent bookstores and the discounts that they can get from publishers versus your chain bookstores, your chain stores like Target and Walmart, and then of course the online behemoths. Um, it's, it's, it's just not the same game. And people look at a book on Amazon and they see a certain price because Amazon is underselling all of their books as a loss leader for their entire <laughs> industry, uh, what they're doing there. And they come into our store and they're like, but this can't be the price of the book. This can't possibly be the price. And it's like, no, this is, this is the the list price is printed on the book. That's the publisher's price. Like, and we don't have anywhere near the buying power that someone like Amazon does, so we can't get those discounts. So our margins are razor thin. Uh, so you're depending on all these other factors, really, to to provide value for for mm-hmm. the for right. the customer. Correct. Well, Correct. yeah, and, and just look, I, I would say I don't entirely. I really admire anyone that makes a living running a bookstore because I think it's unbelievably hard. One of the reasons why we're very fortunate here is we don't have to necessarily, you know, break even uh, in order to keep this project going. And certainly, you know, the money it took to build this place, I can't imagine we'll ever recoup. <laughs> but uh, and look, I think in some ways that also made it easier for you to recruit the team and do Absolutely. all the stuff because Absolutely. we're doing something a little a little different. Look, the the employees here, whether they're full time or hourly, get the same kind of health care that people at Touch Ventures or Touch Strategies or Touch Philanthropies or any of these, you know big profitable companies get. So um, we're in a position to do things that are different, but it's in many ways just the privilege of my having had financial success in other areas. Um, do you think Abby's going to work in the store? Maybe at some point, yeah. Uh, I, I, I could definitely see that. Um, you know, I, would I, have to, I, I said to Julie, we're going to have a, a world where there's going to be friends of my kids and kids of my friends who are going to mm-hmm. want stuff mm-hmm. to do. And like, how do we figure that out? So that hasn't really uh, happened yet, um, but I assume it will. Julie, um, you know this neighborhood a little bit before as a as someone who's lived in the New York area, uh, but obviously you've gotten to know it a lot better over the last several months as you put the store together. What are some of the things that you like about it or found out about it or things you'd want to tell people who might be planning a trip down here to check this place mm-hmm. out? There is, there's so many different people here on the Lower East Side, you know, trying to do our, our market research in advance and even figuring out what books to stock on the shelves, you know, it's like, well, who, who lives here? Who's here? And it's everybody. And it's, it's sort of always been everybody. The Lower East Side has such a rich history with so many different cultures coming in and it's, it really is, it's so quintessential, like New York that way, you know? And so it's interesting to see it now, you know, we have Katz's right around the corner. Um, there's clearly a, a big tourist crowd that comes through. There's a young professional crowd. There's so many bars and restaurants, so there are people coming out. And the, the evening crowd is a lot different from the morning crowd here in the Lower East Side is what I'm learning. And so to me, it's exciting because, you know, it feels like we have the potential to, to sell anything because there are so many different interests here and so many different types of people. Um, I'm interested to see, like, is there a family element here? We're going to try out a story time. Are there kids around here? You know, there are a lot of schools. We know that. So to me, that's what's most interesting about this area is that there are so many different people from so many different directions and so much history here um, that, yeah, there's just a lot of potential for us, I think. So let's just go over the basic information of the store so people are aware of yeah. it. It's open seven days? Seven days a week, 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. 
180 Orchard Street. 180 Orchard Street, uh, ptknitwear.com. You, you will be able to buy books there very soon, any day now. We'll have the e-commerce portion up and, and launched. Um, uh, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, at ptknitwear. Follow us there. We are on Facebook too somewhere, but I'm not too worried about that. Bradley, um, you, you, as you've referred to in the podcast, the goal of this store is not to make you a lot of money. Um, what will constitute success for the store in your mind? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a few things. I think one is like to take this podcast studio. I genuinely have no idea if demand will be non-existent, overwhelming, something in between, because no one has done this before, to my knowledge. But if people are really taking advantage of it, if the community is really using the event space, if we're able to give a really good forum to writers that we like, uh, that's worthwhile. Jobs for people who are you know, good paying jobs or people who are coming out of prison and, and need opportunities. So I, I think I'm judging this more on both who and how we serve people, kind of the role we play in the community, um, and then ultimately, you know, do we become something that, like I said, is iconic? So when you go to Cass's, when you go to Russ and Daughters or wherever else you can go on the Lower East Side, PNT Network is on that list. So that's that's what I'm hoping to accomplish here. Um, I heard a rumor around the office that you mentioned opening a PNT Network in Chicago. Bob keeps asking for that. So <laughs> what what I told him was, if we manage to sort of break even here and prove that we could at least not lose money, then you know we could talk about Chicago. All right, I think that wraps it up. Thank you, Julia. Good Thank luck you. tonight and for this. Thank uh, you. It's really exciting. This place is, is opening up. Yeah, thanks, Julia. Thanks, Julia. Thanks.